go ahead and open up your Bibles. We're going to continue in John, and I'd like to invite Ashley up to come read our scripture for us. Good morning. This is God's word from the Gospel of John, chapter 6, beginning in verse 60. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you, still, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil? He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he was one of the twelve, was going to betray him. Thanks, Ashley. Good morning, church family. It's good to see you. Uh, Do you ever have one of those weeks where just going to church feels like an act of spiritual warfare? And on on top of that, you had an hour of your sleep sucked away uh, last night, and you're still here. Grateful for you being here. My name's Aaron. I'm one of the pastors, and and I want to just, I want to say something right from the outset here. This passage is challenging passage. You know, you, you, you land on verses like, and one of you is a devil. Like, okay, so we're going to go there. And, and here's what I'm going to request. I'm going to request two things of, of everyone who's here. Um, one of them is selfish. I'm just going to ask you to pray for me. Um, I come in today feeling a little extra weighted down, a little extra burdened down. And so I would just invite you to pray for me. But I'm also going to invite you to just check your heart and, and, and see if there's anywhere in your life where you've been maybe afraid to bring questions, doubts, fears, weaknesses, struggles. There's, we got two factors going against us. Number one is church, uh, what we'll call like religiosity, okay? Churches often tend to be a breeding ground for, hey, let's pretend like everything's really good. Let's not do that. The second factor is most all of us live, we live in the suburbs. And that's, I don't know if it's as bad or worse as church, where let's all pretend like we've all got everything together. Our lawns are neatly manicured, our fences are good, and then really inside we've got all sorts of struggles and problems going on. So that's what I'm going to ask you. I'm just being, uh, I'll just bring that up right from the outset. I think Jesus has some really important things he wants to say to us today, but let's let those pretenses go. And I'm committed to do the same as well. Amen? So let's pray. Let's go to Jesus. We need him. We need him big time today. God, I ask and I pray that you would meet with us here in this room, in this time. I ask and I pray, Lord God, that you would show up in a supernatural sort of way. Just like uh, when the disciples were rowing in the middle of the lake, in the middle of the night, in the middle of the storm, and Jesus, you just showed up and said, I am is here. We need that today. God, I'm asking and I'm praying that you'd protect and guard my lips. Help me to only teach that which is in line with your truth from your word. And I'm praying for all of my brothers and sisters who are here today. God, would you give us the courage to bring our 
our fears, our doubts, our struggles to you today. We ask and we pray that our attention would go on Jesus, in whose good name we pray. Amen. You guys ever get involved in something and you're like halfway through that something and you think to yourself, why did I start this something? Am I going to be able to finish it? Am I going to be able to conclude this, right? You know, some of you, you know, maybe it's a, an exercise thing. Like, I'm going to go for a three-mile jog. And you're like, I'm going to get part, part way. Like, I'm going to go for a three-minute jog. And you turn back around and go home. I, I was thinking of my, you've heard me mention my kitchen remodel, which is now, by God's grace, pretty much done. And I say pretty much because it never is done. Uh, but there was a point in the kitchen remodel where we had poured some concrete for the floor, like floor-leveling concrete, and I had, I had gotten a grinder and uh, it was like grinding down some of the rough edges because I don't know how to pour concrete very good. And I'm grinding down the concrete. I've taped off the doors that go in and out of the kitchen. And I'm like, I'm wearing like a, like a white tank top and a Bane, you know, vapor respirator mask thing. And I'm grinding down and there's dust everywhere and it's in my eyes and it's in my ears and I'm grinding and I'm like, what have I gotten myself into? You idiot. This is the dumbest thing. You'll never be finished with this kitchen remodel project. And I'm just kind of angry and I'm fuming. And then my doorbell rings and the student ministry showed up at my door with like a pile of like high school and middle school kids for their fun scavenger hunt to take a photo with a pastor. And I'm like, I don't look or feel very pastoral right now. And so there is a photo of me out there in a white tank top with a respirator on and a grinder in my hand and a bunch of like really happy high school students. Meanwhile, I'm having like a wrestling match with God. What's with this kitchen thing? And anyways, that was just what came to mind for me. What comes to mind for you? You feel like you're, you're too far in to quit. You're, you're too far out there. You can't go back. You know, like the disciples in the, in the lake earlier in John chapter 6. Like, they're out there. They're in the storm. What, what are we doing? Why are we out here? What's going on? We can't go back. This story today is, is the conclusion of a series of other just conversations, really the, the sweep and the scope of John chapter 6. And we see today in this, in this passage that some people thought it was too hard. From that moment on, these, these, these disciples, they turned back and they no longer walked with Jesus. And so my big idea today is, is not a particularly encouraging one from the outset, but it's this. Following Jesus is really hard. Following Jesus is really hard. Happy Sunday. Welcome to Sound City Bible Church. It is hard to follow Jesus. But when you see how valuable he is, when you see how good he is, when you see how precious he is, when you see how loved you are, you, you, can't, you can't imagine doing anything different. Following Jesus is hard. There's a lot of pastors in a lot of churches on a lot of Sundays that can fill up a lot of rooms telling you things like, come to Jesus and everything in your life is just going to be wonderful and hunky-dory. And I'm not wanting to throw rocks or throw stones, but I'm just here to tell you that the Jesus of the Bible is challenging. It's challenging to follow Jesus. It's hard, but it's worth it. So let me just 
briefly remind us of where we've been in John chapter 6. This, this, this chapter, we've broken it up into five different sermons, but really, John the Apostle, it's, it's not meant to be broken up like that. You're supposed to read through the whole thing and see how this is all connected. So it starts, Jesus feeds 5,000 people. This big crowd of people show up and Jesus does this miracle, bread from heaven, miraculous provision. It's Passover time. Jesus is, is, is calling to mind a new exodus is about to happen. And then he goes away to pray and to be alone with his father, the disciples. He says, hey, go to the other side of the lake. They get in the boat. They waited for Jesus. They say, oh, I guess we better get going. And, 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 and he goes, uh, they, they go across the lake and the storm comes. And then Jesus performs this incredible miracle, this sign of walking on the water. But in, in contradistinction to the earlier one, it wasn't the crowd that got to see it. It was only these 12. Jesus showing that he is God, the the God who tramples upon the waves of the sea, the one who is divine, the one who is uh, God from heaven in human form. And he crosses the sea and he ministers to their fears and their anxieties. And the next morning, uh, they get to Capernaum and they're in the synagogue and the people start showing back up again. Like, we love that whole bread thing. And, and that was amazing. Could you do that bread thing some more? Because it, it was a really nice miracle. And Jesus goes, no, you, you don't understand. It's not about the bread. It's about me. I am the bread. I am the bread of life. I'm the bread that comes down from heaven. It's, it's not about, you don't need material uh, possessions. You don't need material provisions. What you need is spiritual sustenance and, and to, to feed on me. And they're like, yeah, but we really like the bread. And he's like, no, you don't understand. You need to eat my flesh and you need to drink my blood and you need to believe in me. And our, our brother Steve, Pastor Steve did such a great job of teaching us on that last week. He's challenging him. You need to go all in. Quit hedging your bets. Quit saying, oh, I'll follow you a little bit. You need to go all in on me so much so that you would eat my flesh and drink my blood. And, and, and then we get to this decision point today where people are like, man, this is, this is a really hard thing. It's a really hard thing to take in. I, I, it's, a, it's a decision point. Is Jesus Lord or is he not? Is Jesus who he says he is or is he not? We're going to see a few reasons specifically why it's hard to follow Jesus. And the first one is this. It's hard sometimes to follow Jesus because Jesus says hard things. Verse 60, when many of the disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? Those are, there's, um, th- those are what I call like, duh, verses in the Bible, right? Jesus just said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part in me. Now, that's a hard saying. Who can listen to it? How many, how many of you, by the way, like when the first time you read that verse in the Bible, like that's disturbing. Anybody, right? Good. That's a good reaction. Uh, because in case we were fuzzy on that cannibalism is indeed wrong. Uh, and, and so much, uh, how much more so to like good Torah following Jews who knew the law and knew what the scripture said about those things, and yet here's Jesus saying this, and, 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 and he's, he's trying to get them to elevate their, their gaze. He's, he's using a, a shocking metaphor and analogy to say, you've got to go all in with me. This is a hard saying. But this week, Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about him, said to them, do you take offense at this? Yeah. Then what if... <laughs> I love how just Jesus just doubles down. What if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. 
The flesh is no help at all. The words I've spoken to you are spirit and life. Okay, <laughs> Jesus is in essence saying, I'm telling you to eat my flesh and drink my blood. You think that's a hard thing to take in? What if you were to see me in my full glory, in my full divinity, who I really am? I am God in the flesh, ascending to where I was before. That's a hard saying. This is, this is like the gospel in, in encapsulated form. He's saying, look, I am from heaven. I left the splendor and the glory of heaven to come. And, and, and not just for any reason, but for a specific reason. He said that the Son of Man came to give his life as a ransom for many. That he came with a, a purpose to die on a cross in our place for our sins because we are sinful and a, a holy God requires a, a sacrifice for our sins to be covered and only a, a holy, pure sacrifice could satisfy that need before a holy God. And so he came to die in our place. But good news, friends, Jesus did not stay dead. Amen? He did not stay dead. The tomb is empty. This morning, when I was rolling out of bed at 5.30, but my body knew that it was 4.30, despite what the U.S. government says. I knew, I knew what time it was. I'm just grumbling to myself about like having an hour of my life sucked away. Like, what is that from? The Princess Bride, right? Like, you just had one hour of your life sucked away. That's how I felt this morning. And I'm sitting there thinking to myself, like, Aaron, you have to get out of the bed. The tomb is empty, and people need to hear the hope of the gospel. The tomb is empty, and then Jesus he appeared to his disciples, but he didn't, he didn't remain here physically present on earth. He actually tells them, he says, it's better for me to go away. And he ascended into heaven at the right hand of the throne of the majesty on high, where Jesus right now intercedes for us, prays for us, covers us with his grace, and is orchestrating all things in human history to their proper end and conclusion. He says, would, would that shock you? Would that be hard for you to see? Sometimes I have conversations with people who are not Christians, not believers in Jesus. And when I have the opportunity, especially when they say things like, I believe that Jesus was a good moral teacher. I believe he taught good moral things. The, usually the number one verse that I take them to is, is John six fifty three. Truly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. It's like, does that sound like a good moral teacher? I, like, Martin Luther King Jr. didn't say that, uh, you know. Mother Teresa didn't say that. Gandhi didn't, whoever, you know, pick your favorite good moral teacher. They didn't say that. Jesus is saying some things that are either true or very disturbing. The longer you follow Jesus, the more you're going to come to realize that Jesus says hard things. And the question is, will you still follow him even when we don't like those things that he says. I'll tell you one. This, this week, just kind of going through, just skimming through the, the Gospels, Jesus, Jesus said in Matthew 10, he said, don't assume that I came to bring peace on the earth. I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. And I was like, that's Matthew 10. If I rewind a few chapters to Matthew 5, that's the Beatitudes. And he says, blessed are the peacemakers and now I'm mad and confused. And I actually like to consider myself a peacemaker. I like to consider myself a bridge builder, someone who likes to bring people together. I'll, I'll fight you, but I, I want to be your friend when we're done. I, I, it just bothered me. I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. 
How about Luke 14? If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, wife, sorry, honey, children, kids, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Jesus is, is not maybe literally saying that you have to hate your family members, but he's saying, is your love and your devotion to me so great that you would choose me over those other people in your life who are most important to you? That's what Jesus is saying. Is your love and your devotion to me so great that it looks like your love and devotion to others is hate by comparison? Or how about, how about here's a great one, Matthew 5.48. Be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Oh, thanks, Jesus. I'll get right on that. You start to realize you're far more prideful, far more cowardly, far more lustful, far more stingy and selfish than you thought you were. And Jesus says hard things. And it's not just to those bad people out there. It's to us. Those who have walked with him, those who have followed him, those who have given our lives to him. Jesus says hard things. Will you still follow when he says those things? This is a hard saying. Yeah. Jesus says, does it offend you? Are you offended by those things? That question is being asked to us right now. when what Jesus says doesn't line up with our natural personality type or our political proclivities or our whatever it is, our assumptions about him. Oh, ooh, Jesus, oh, that hurts. Will you follow Jesus even when he says hard things? <laughs> oh, I just, let me just, by the way, would we really want Jesus to be like a, I kind of get this picture of like a life coach in my mind. He's like, you can do it, buddy. Everything's good. And I'm like, I don't, I don't actually think I really want that, Jesus, when you, when you put it that way. Let me ask you this question. Show of hands. How many of you ever felt like you come across some verse in the scripture, you're like, ouch. Anybody? Okay. All right, so we're tracking. It's hard to follow Jesus sometimes because he says hard things. Number two, it's hard to follow Jesus Because sometimes other people don't want to follow Jesus anymore. Verse 66. After this, I'm jumping ahead just a little bit. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. I remember I had a pastor, uh, and I I remember specifically when it was. It was August of 2011. And a pastor pointed out to me that it called the people who no longer walked with Jesus disciples. And that frustrated me. There's a lot there. There's a whole sermon in there. But something along the lines of, man, People are, even before saving faith, there's still some sort of discipleship happening in people's lives. They're either being discipled toward Jesus or they're being discipled, uh, you know, after conversion to know him more. But this group of people called the disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. They decided that the things that Jesus was saying were too hard, too challenging, too strident, too confrontational, too difficult. They said, we're out. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? Just put yourself in that moment. Just imagine for a moment that you're Bartholomew, okay? Poor Bart, he never gets any love, right? Just, you're there and like, you just see all these people just like take off. You're like, Ooh, and then you're there and you got like Simon, you got Judas, and you got, you know, Matthew, and you got those Sons of Thunder guys. You're just there like, oh, 
okay, but we saw him walk on the water last night, remember? So Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? And God bless you, Simon Peter. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, I just kind of imagine this like a little bit of a shrug, like, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Peter, Peter had lots of opportunities to get things wrong, but he really got one quite right in this moment. There's nowhere else. Yeah, we're, we're kind of disturbed by, by what you said too, Jesus, but you have the words of eternal life and we saw your glory. You walked on the water. We, we're getting an idea. We're starting to figure out that you might not just be a regular old prophet or teacher, okay? Show of hands, any of you ever known somebody who at one point in their life walked with Jesus and then walked away? Anybody ever known somebody like that? Is that heartbreaking or what? I am, I can think of a handful of people that I've known, people that I actually did ministry with, like served together and preached the gospel together, people that I uh, led worship with, did music, and, and who now would say they don't even believe that there's a God. It's heartbreaking. We live in a time, too, where in our country, we're experiencing kind of an, an unprecedented sort of a, a shift in a really rapid fashion, really rapid time. And, and you'll start to hear there's kind of a narrative that's going on. Um, if, you, if you listen to, you know, most major news outlets or news publications, there's a narrative going on that people are falling away from the faith and people are leaving the church in droves and people are, are, are really walking away from Jesus. And, and let me just say this, by the way, I, like peer pressure, I know that for some of us who feel like, oh, I should be older and more mature, or I should be whatever, like peer pressure is a real thing. For, and, and for those of you who are younger in here, right? Like you hear about peer pressure in you know, middle school, high school, something like that. No, grownups too, right? I was reading, I was thinking about this whole thing about peer pressure and I read The, the Emperor's New Clothes uh, by Han, Hans Christian Andersen. You guys remember that story? And uh, the whole thing, like the, 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 the tricksters come and they make clothes. They say, oh, they're so fine and they're so light. You literally can't even see them. And they, they dress the emperor in them. And he's like wandering down the streets naked and everyone's like, you see, what? And everyone's like, oh, look at these beautiful clothes. And everyone just kind of like goes all in. That's peer pressure, right? That's a bunch of grownups. It's a few hundred year old story, but it's absolutely the case. We walk into an environment. Everyone else is saying one thing, feeling one thing, doing nothing. It's really hard to speak up and be like, I'm sorry, is that guy naked? We're living in this, this unprecedented time of, of pressure and, and shift where, where the story is being told that people are walking away from Jesus, walking away from the church. And it's really fascinating because, you know, the United States of America, I mean, we're a, we're a complicated, messed up thing, aren't we? Uh, founded on, yes, Judeo-Christian principles and values, but we also had a few cracks in the foundation. I don't know, there's this thing called slavery that wasn't particularly godly or Christian. Uh, and, and, and now we're starting to see things kind of faltering or shifting or whatever you want to call it. And the reality is that many of us who are, are followers of Jesus are feeling like there's all this pressure. And if we listen to that narrative, man, we could, we could feel like, man, do I, do I know? Any? Actually, I was just talking with somebody last week about some really close personal friends of theirs. Just, 
walking away from Jesus. I do want to tell you something, though. I have good news for you in this. The reports of the demise of the Church of Jesus Christ have been greatly exaggerated. I found a study, recent study, just came out in November of 2017. It's two PhDs, one from the University of Indiana and one from uh, the school called uh, Harvard. Heard of it? And the, the title is The Persistent and Exceptional Intensity of American Religion, a response to recent research. And like, that's nerdy. And then basically what they argue in this, in this research, they took data from like uh, uh, 20, 20 plus years and, and looked at it and, and said there's this, there's this idea that people are walking away from the faith, walking away from the church, but, but actually that doesn't really hold true when you take a few things into consideration. So I got two slides to show with you. You're welcome, nerds. And... Uh, Here's, <laughs> so you see the bottom line, the one that's going up, that's the no affiliation. Uh, you've heard it called the rise of the nuns. And no, I don't mean like your Catholic school teacher nuns. I mean like the, the people who mark none religious affiliation on the census. So that is indeed going up. The top line, those with not strong affiliation. And I, again, I'm, I want to be gracious. I'm not trying to throw rocks, but basically people whose faith was kind of a convenient sort of faith. Go to church when I feel like it. Give of my finances when I feel like it. Pray when I feel like it. Eh, try to read the Bible. It's a very casual and convenient approach to faith. But as the temperature has been turned up and as the heat has been turned up over the last, you can see, over the last 25 years, that line has steadily declined. But the one in the middle, strong affiliation, and they define that by regular church attendance and belief that the Bible is the word of God and, and in you know, uh, the, the spiritual disciplines like prayer and fasting and all these things, that has held remarkably steady. Look at that. Basically, people who take their faith seriously are holding steady. Tim Keller, a pastor and author in New York, he calls it the death of the, the, death of the mushy middle. And you're like, is he trying to get us to do sit-ups or what? Like, no. I, <laughs> it's his terminology, not mine. But, but this idea that for, for many people in our culture, it was socially convenient and comfortable to be a Christian. And so people, I'm a Christian because, yeah, it's, it's fine. There's, there's, there's uh, cultural capital to be gained. But now that the temperature is being turned up, now that there's more opposition, vocal opposition to things of faith, we're starting to see that decline. The next slide just has to do with prayer, okay? People that pray less than once a week, including never, that's kind of holding steady. It's, it's pretty easy to hold steady at I never pray, okay? Uh, people who pray sometimes, like that's it's kind of declining. It's just the kind of, I guess I'll pray whenever I feel like it. But the people that pray, it says multiple times a day. Again, you see an increase in that. It's actually on the rise. There's lots more. I'll tell you what I'll do. If you are a nerd and you want to read this entire 20-page dissertation, I will link to it on the website and or you can send me an email and I'll send it to you. But let me just ask you this. Let me ask you this. Okay, I, I hope that's encouraging. But what if every single person you knew walked away from Jesus? Would you still follow? I, 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 God forbid... What if I walked away from Jesus? Man, the guy who was our preaching pastor and he always taught us about God's word and the scriptures. What if I walked away from Jesus? Would you still follow? Is your faith contingent upon me, somebody else, a small group leader, an author, a pastor, a parent, a grandparent, an aunt, an uncle, a husband, a wife? Or do you know that Jesus is the Holy One of God? Have you seen and have you believed? 
And are you convinced there's no one else who has the words of eternal life? Let me tell you what, Aaron Gray does not have the words of eternal life. Jesus does. Do you know him? Will you be faithful to him? All right, those were easy ones. Those are getting warmed up. Here's the one that really stressed me out this week. Jumping back, verse 64. <sighs> it, can, it can be hard to follow Jesus because he says hard words. It can be hard to follow Jesus because sometimes people fall away. It can be hard to follow Jesus because sometimes God's sovereign plan just doesn't make sense. There's at least two things in this set of verses that are challenging. Verse 64, there are some of you who do not believe for Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the father. Okay. The word granted is a strong word, is it not? Like there's, I've used this analogy before, but there's a difference between giving and granting. If I, if I go home and say, honey, I just want to give you a weekend away with your friends to go have fun. Or if I go home and say, honey, I want to grant you a weekend away with your friends. Those are two very different sentences, right? Like some of you husbands, you go try that. You tell me how it goes. It's a strong word. I'm just, I'm just going to read what Jesus said. No one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. Now, how does that work? I love thinking deeply and studying, and, but, but can I just be honest with you? No human being knows. We don't know the inner workings, the behind-the-curtain, divine, eternal whatever you want to call it, we, we don't get that peek behind the curtain. How does God's sovereignty and, and his choice and, and his determination work with my choice and my will and my responsibility morally before God? How does all that work? And, and we can think and we can pray and we can wrestle and we can see what God teaches us. But at the end of the day, if, if we can fully understand God, then we don't know God. Because a God that you can fully understand is not God. You tracking with me? Like that's, that's your imagination. There are some things, the secret things of the Lord belong to him. But Jesus said it. And I, I just being honest, I mean, I, I believe it. It's true. I don't fully understand it. And then there's this little number, verse 70. Jesus answered them, did I not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil. Like in that moment, right? It's just, everyone walked away. It's like, okay, it's the 12 of us. Okay, it's the 11 of us. Like, right? I'm looking around. <laughs> he spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the 12, was going to betray him. Okay, that's complicated. Jesus chose 12 disciples, and yet one of those disciples was chosen for their role to betray him. I'm like, well, then did Judas have a choice, or was he forced into this? I'm like, no, Judas is fully responsible. And like, I, uh, uh, come on. Anybody else feeling that with me? Reading along, like, God, I don't understand it. I don't get it. 
I want neat and tidy explanations. I want a, a framework that I can logically comprehend. I don't want to be invited into mystery. I don't want to be invited into tension or paradox. Even in my own personal life, I don't want there to be mysterious things where I'm living my life and I don't understand why I'm in the circumstances that I'm in. I wish God would just give me the plan from the, the beginning. Like I become a Christian and he like faxes me something and I get like this outline. Like, okay, this is how my life's going to be great. Does anybody else wish that sometimes? No, you don't. You actually don't. Because if, if God showed you the plan, first of all, if God showed you the plan, we probably would all run away screaming. But second of all, if God showed you the plan, you would rely upon the plan and not Jesus. I, I, I don't, I don't, claim to fully understand how it is that people can come to him and it's granted by the Father. I don't claim to fully understand how it is that Judas was chosen by Jesus and yet he is full of sin and iniquity and betrayed Jesus even though he's one of them. I don't fully understand. I don't understand. The disciples didn't understand why they were in the middle of the lake and the storms going on when Jesus told them to go. I thought we were in the will of God. Sometimes in the will of God is going to put you in the middle of some serious storms. but will you follow him even when you don't get it? I don't know everybody in this room. I don't know every situation that's going on in this room. But I know enough to know that some of you are carrying some incredibly heavy burdens this week. I, you know, I mentioned the whole like, you ever start something and you get kind of midway through and like, can I even do this? Can I, can I just... Can I just be vulnerable with you? I had that feeling this week about being a pastor. Just some weighty, heavy, heavy stuff. And I had a moment late in the week where I thought to myself, man, can I keep going on this? Some of you, it's finances. Some of it's your marriage. Some of it's health stuff. One of our, our one of our deacons called out this morning, couldn't come because his, his mom's in the hospital at death's door. Just burdens and heaviness, and you're sitting there like, why, God? Why is this happening? What's going on? Where's the plan? It's not making sense to me. Following Jesus is hard, okay? Have I convinced you of that? <laughs> Listen, you have to hear me on this. This is so important. The only way that we are going to be able to keep following Jesus when he says hard things, when we walk through challenging, confusing situations, when other people walk away, the only way we're going to be able to keep following Jesus, to make it to the end, to persevere to the end, is if we are so enthralled by the beauty of Jesus, the goodness of his grace, the hope of the gospel, the joy that's found in him. That's it. The only way is if we see Jesus as absolutely valuable, incalculably valuable and beautiful and worth it, 
I stayed up late on Friday night. And I went outside. And it was clear. Like the clouds had rolled out by that time. And I looked up. And I, I, um, all my neighbors, everyone had their lights off. And I could just see the stars so beautifully. And I just had this moment where I'm looking at all these stars and I'm thinking about uh, one of the verses in, I believe it's in the Psalms, where it says that he, he gives each star a name. And I was thinking about how scientists tell us in these documentaries that I'm watching that we can't even calculate how many stars there are in the known universe. They keep finding new galaxies and each galaxy is, you know, however many billions of stars. They just, they're running out of numbers. And it says that God knows every one of those stars by name. That's, that's a big God. And that this God stepped off of his throne in heaven's glory, the angels worshiping him, the, the, the perfect, holy relationship and community of the Trinity to enter into our broken mess. That this God that hung the stars in the sky looked at you and looked at you and looked at you and looked at me and looked at you and said, I love that one. I'm going to give my life. What's the, what's the greatest sacrifice any, any person could make? To give up their own life, right? The only other sacrifice that might be harder, I think actually harder than giving up your own life is to give up the life of one of your children. Guess what? God did both. Jesus Christ, the Son, laid down his life for us. God, the Father, gave his Son for us. Can you even, you can't comprehend. I can't comprehend that. Can you comprehend how good that is? That all of the brokenness in the world, that all of the sin and the, and the, and the warfare and terrorism and racism and slavery and and. and Poverty and injustice and rage and road rage and stealing and anger and fight, all of that, all of the weight of all that went on Jesus on the cross. And now when God looks at us, he says, I love you. You're precious in my sight. I just read it again in Isaiah. You are, you are precious in my sight. Is that the Jesus you know? Is it hard to believe that? You ever have some days where you don't feel very precious? Hey, let me, let me tell you this. The Apostle Paul says that because of all this stuff that Jesus did, the same Holy Spirit that raised Christ from the dead is now alive and at work in you. You ever have some days where you feel like, I can't keep going. This is too hard. Guess what? I have good news for you. It is too hard for you. And on your own, you can't keep going. That's why it's about his grace. If we're faithless, welcome to being a human. But the Bible says when we're faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. You have the same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead. That ought to put a little steel in your spine this week. You've been crowned with dignity and honor. I don't mean this in some phony, baloney, empty self-help sort of way. You're stronger than you think you are. You have God on your side. And if God's on your side, watch out world. Who could stand against you? 
You think we're going to make it to the end because we're so smart or we're so tough or we're so whatever? No, it's going to be Jesus. It's Christ in me, the hope of glory within me. You've got the Holy Spirit. It's kind of like, it's kind of like, man, like, like just, I don't even, I can't, there's no words to express it. What I want you to have in your heart and your soul and your mind and your spirit, because at the end of the day, it's not about us. It's Christ within us. Where else could we go? He's got the words of eternal life. Come hell or high water. I don't care. I'm going after Jesus. Anybody else with me? That's what we got. That's it. No hope outside of him. How valuable is Jesus in your heart and mind? I just, I just, like, read the, just read the Bible, okay? And like, that's a, that's a dumb thing for a pastor. But like, but like, <laughs> it's like, that's what, that's my no dumb moment, right? But like, read the Bible and take it serious. Like Jesus says, I love you. Like, just that ought to fry your mind. He loves me. He knows how many hairs are on your head. He knows your every weakness. He knows that you need food and clothes. And he knows that your family members are dying or, or sick. He knows that you're stressed. He knows, he knows it all. And he says, I love you and I've got you. Let's go. He's got the words of eternal life. How valuable is Jesus in your heart and mind? That's the only way we're going we're gonna to make it. If it's on like, well, I'm going to be really tough and I'm going to be tougher than those. No, just give up now. But if you've eaten of the bread of life, if you've drank from the well of living water, if you've seen the beauty of the goodness of God and even just a taste, then you're going to want to go all in. It's Jesus or nothing. God, I, I ask and I pray right now we could just bring our weights and our burdens to you. And as we prepare our hearts to respond to this Jesus, I ask and I pray, Lord God, that you would help us to bring our burdens to you. Our weaknesses, our inadequacies, our fears, our struggles, our doubts, would we bring them to you? And Jesus, may we, along with Simon Peter, say, to whom else can we go? You have the words of eternal life. God, I ask and I pray that you would put steel in our spines You'd put, you'd put a little grit into our hearts and our minds. Jesus, you, you've never promised us that following you would be easy, but you did promise us it would be worth it. In this life and in the life to come, Jesus, may we know that you are enough, that you are our treasure, you are our hope, you are our comfort. Help us, Lord Jesus. We ask and we pray this in your precious name. Amen. I want to invite us to just remain in an attitude of, of openness before God. We're going to transition to responding through singing. We're going to respond through celebrating the Lord's table. We'll invite our younger students class to join us here in a moment. But we're going to start by giving. If you're a guest or a visitor, please know we don't like to make a big deal or do any arm twisting about giving. This is an invitation to worship Jesus. This is an invitation to worship, to give with joy. So I invite you to give. They're going to pass the buckets if you want to give online. There's, try to make it easy. Try to make it easy for you to be able to give and say, Jesus, 
Here's some, here's some of what you've given to me. I want to read from 1 Corinthians 11 because in a moment we're going to celebrate the Lord's table. And we're going to eat and drink. Eat and drink of Jesus. This is what the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 11. He says, I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. Then the night when he was betrayed, Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Can you just pause on those words for a moment there? This is for you. Like, like Jesus' body was broken for us. This is encouraging. This is loving. This is reassuring. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Thank God that the covenant is written in his blood, not our hard work and efforts. Amen? What's our agreement with God? Oh, it's just written in the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Not my moral efforts. I'll tell you that much right now. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Friends, we're going to see Jesus one day. We're going to see him face to face. It says, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Friends, I want to invite you as the musicians come and they'll, they'll play instrumentally here and give us a time just for reflection. What are your fears? What are your doubts? What don't you understand? What are the hard things that Jesus says that just kind of grate at you? Maybe for some of you, somebody's walked away and you just want to pray for them. Whatever it is, I invite you to do some business with Jesus now. And then in a minute, we'll stand together and we'll sing and we'll reassure our hearts together before the Lord that he is good. God, I ask and I pray now for this time of response. I ask and I pray that you would give us, um, give us the guidance and the direction that we need in our lives. Whether it's finances or marriage or health or just life in general, God, whatever it is, we want you to be at the center. We want to follow you. We want to make it to the end. God, I ask and I pray now as we, as we eat of this bread and as we drink of this cup, you would strengthen us. You would nourish us. You would remind us that we're going to make it to the end because of you and your grace. Not because of our heroic moral efforts, but that God, you'd, you'd strengthen us. Pray this in Jesus' good name. Amen.